You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friends. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. It's the final week of Women's History Month, and I'm very sad about it. And I'm sure you're very sad about it, too. But do not fret too much, my delicious donut, for we are going to end the season of women's history with a bang. But before we get into that, I'd like to send a gentle reminder your way to leave a lady a lading, a rating, or a review on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on because it really helps other potential history BFFs find for the love of history. And with that out of the way, let's get back to our final Women's History Month topic, the seamstress spy of Colombia, La Pola. So, without further ado, grab your best spy disguise and your bug out bag and let's get to it. Believe it or not, our story today starts out with Napoleon <laughs> and his older brother Joseph. What a what? What in the random historical hell does Joseph Bonaparte have to do with Colombia? Excellent question, dear one. Jojo and Napoleolio have everything to do with our episode today. And also, did you know Napoleon had uh, an older brother? I most certainly did not until I started researching for this episode, but I digress. So, New Granada, what we now know as Colombia, used to be a colony of Spain. And in the early 1800s, Ferdinand was the king of Spain and therefore the king of the colony of New Granada. During this time of colonization, Spain did what all colonizers did and had his henchmen, I mean viceroys, <laughs> govern in his stead. Things were peachy keen for old Ferdy until 1807 when Napoleon Bonaparte came over from France and snatched Freddy's crown and threw him in jail. Now, Napoleon didn't want to be king of Spain himself because he had other important things to do with his life, I guess, like getting attacked by hordes of bunnies, which is a real thing that actually happened to him. <laughs> so what did Napoleon do? Well, he called up his older brother, who was uh, <laughs> the king of Naples at the time, and said, hey, Joe, like, I need you to uh, leave Naples and um, come down here to Spain and be like the king for a minute. Could you do me a solid and just be the king of Spain? <laughs> which is insane. It's so crazy. <laughs> like earlier, Napoleon had put his brother, Joseph, on the throne in Naples, and he was only the king there for two years, and then called him up and was like, P.S., I need you to be the king of Spain. What in the Nepo baby is this? And it was truly nepotism, because Joseph, Jojo, had really no qualifications to be the king of anything. He was once a soldier, and then he was a lawyer and like a diplomat for a short period of time. He had as much qualifications as the last American president. So, you know, it's, uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I can't it just, it's just so crazy to me. So, Mr. Jojo 
travels his happy little butt to Spain and becomes the king. Now, Ferdinand is not dead. He's he's just in jail. But the people of Spain did not like this regardless. And they created something called a junta, which is not only the single most fun word to say, but a political rebellion group, kind of like a group of political guerrilla warriors. This junta was all about loyalty to Ferdinand and fighting the Bonapartes to get him back on the throne. Meanwhile, in New Granada, the citizens were getting real, real fed up with the viceroys and everything that was going on in Spain. They were like, WTF, first of all, why are we letting a foreign country rule us with these people? The king's not even here. He just sends his cronies. And second of all, now the king of Spain is a dude from another country. This seems not cool. We do not like this. We would like to start our own junta. And start their own junta, they did. And New Granada was not new to the whole rebel against colonialism thing. There had been several rebellions against Spain over the years. And this is the world in which Policarpa Salavaretti was born into. Policarpa Salavaretti, also known as La Pola, was born in Guadas, Colombia, or New Granada, as it was known back then, on 26th January 1795 to Joaquin Salavaretta and Maria Rios. They were a very well-respected middle-class family with a history of rebellion. Almost every member of the family had taken part in previous rebellions in one way or another. From a very young age, La Pola would eavesdrop on people's conversations and relay important information to various junta resistance leaders. Unfortunately, in 1802, there was a massive smallpox epidemic and many of her family members, including her parents, died. Her younger brother survived and so did her older sister who took them both in. She did not stop her spying despite suffering such a massive loss. Instead, she continued and she picked up sewing which would come in very handy later on. She was about 13 years old when King Ferdinand was yeeted off of the throne and replaced by Jojo Bones, which only added fuel to her little espionage fire. But little spy Icarus flew a bit too close to the sun and had to flee the city of Guadas because her cover had been officially blown. She was far too infamous in the city. So her brother and her sister and her sister's new husband all moved to Bogota, another major trade town in New Granada. No one knew her there, so she could get back into the spy game. And to do so, she did the most hilarious thing I think I've ever heard a spy do. <laughs> she brought references with her to Bogota, like letters from other junta military leaders <laughs> that vouched for her. So that when she so that when she got to Bogota, she would be like legit. So people would actually trust her. And I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard, but it does. Like, like a 13, 14-year-old little girl with spy references from guerrilla fighters. 
What did they say? What were in these letters? Like, hey, (laughs) this child is a great spy. You should totally put her in harm's way. What I wouldn't give to read those reference letters. (laughs) But I digress. So, who did Little Miss Spy LaPoya show these letters of recommendation to? Well, a woman by the name of Andrea Ricarte de Lazon, who was actually a noblewoman who used her house as the base of operations for a female spy network to support the revolutionary movement. I know. I know. A whole ass spy, spy lady network. I love it. I love it so much. I have goosebumps. So, Polycarpa went to Andrea and was like, hey, these are my reference letters. Like, please let me spy for you. (laughs) And Andrea was like, yeah, love it. Awesome. Can you do anything else? And Polycarpa said, yes, I can. I can sew. And those sewing skills that she had learned came in real handy because Andrea got her a job as a seamstress working in the homes of Spanish military leaders, authorities, and other nobility. Sexism and sexists are a heaping pile of burning garbage, but it has, and probably still does, come in handy to many a woman's spy. You see, people didn't think that women, let alone young girls, could possibly have the mental and emotional capacity to be spies. Nay, nay, dear one. Add this to the fact that the rich tend to see the help as simply that help and not actually people worth respect and consideration. Polycarpa, as a young woman seamstress, was essentially invisible to the people that she worked for. To them, she was there to fix their ripped pants and that's all. This was a major advantage to Polycarpa because she would just disappear to the people she was working for and their lips would get loose real quick. She was able to eavesdrop on conversations to learn things like the strength of Spanish forces, their movements, which people they suspected of being rebels, all that hot, hot espionage tea. After she left the houses, she would immediately go to Andrea with the information, and Andrea would disseminate it from there. But Polycarpa wasn't just spying to help the junta of resistance. She also made alcohol to make money for the cause. She sewed guerrilla uniforms. She persuaded men that joined the militia for the Spanish side to defect and join her side, the side of the junta. She also visited guerrilla prisoners and gave them food. She coordinated supplies for the resistance, which included smuggling in guns. And she also recruited more members to the resistance, helping the rebels strengthen their numbers and expand their operations network. And this whole time, she wasn't even 20 years old. She was just a teenager. And she did what teenagers do. And she fell in love with another spy, a young man named Alejo Sabarain. It was a whirlwind romance that would eventually be her downfall. Alejo was captured one day, and he happened to have documents containing Polycarpa's name. 
Now, I do want to stress that he did not do this on purpose. It was just um, in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing. Word got out that Alejo had been captured and Polycarpa rushed to Andrea's house to begin destroying all documents that could incriminate any other spies. Andrea stalled the police as long as they could by feigning shock and disbelief that this 22-year-old seamstress that she had brought into her home could possibly be a spy. And this worked for a while, and it gave enough time to Polycarpa and a few other spies to burn all other documents containing the other spies' names and important information, thus saving the other women in the network of spies. On November 14, 1817, Polycarpa was taken from her home, despite Andrea's efforts, was quickly tried, and found guilty. The penalty for her was death, but even in her last days, she was defiant until the end. Instead of wearing the customary sack dress that prisoners were executed in, she wore a flowing white top and skirt with a delicate lace shawl wrapped around her shoulders. She was to be shot in the back for betraying Spain. So she bared her back for all to see, refusing to kneel, and shouted, Indolent people, how diverse your luck would be today if you knew the price of freedom. I have more than enough courage to suffer this death and a thousand more. And thus ended the life of Polycarpa Salavarieta, one of the youngest and most influential spies in the fight for freedom from Spanish colonization. We have come to our final thought, dear one. I'm so sorry to just rip the rug right out from under you. I wish I, I wish I had a better ending, but alas, I do not. I do, however, have a final thought of hope and righteous rage. I like righteous rage, and I, I think you do too, so here goes. Immediately after her death, not much changed, and she was all but forgotten. However, less than two years later, a play about her heroic deeds was put on, and people really didn't know what the story was about. They just knew that they loved the main character, Polycarpa, and were entranced by her bravery and courage in the face of danger. They were all very happy campers, and they were loving this play. They were ready for their heroine to come in and save the day. However, the mood changed during intermission. Through the power of giving no spoiler alert warning, members of the audience learned that their beloved heroine Polycarpa would be shot in the end. People lost their shit. Like they lost it. They couldn't even finish the play because people were rioting so hard that they started fires. The play ended right then and there because obviously the building was on fire. People took the rioting out of the theater onto the streets and this basically reignited the fire. Because <laughs> the, the literal fire reignited the metaphorical fire to fight against the Spanish occupation. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. Anyways. <laughs> 
Through this newfound righteous independence rage, New Granada would gain independence from Spain in 1819. There are now Polycarpa celebrations and memorials all over Colombia. She may have died young, but her memory will never, ever fade. Well, my delicious little donut, that is all she wrote for today. Happy Women's History Month. Happy halfway point of season five. I hope you got something out of today's episode. If you did, consider sharing it with a friend, bringing it up when you meet a stranger in an elevator. Just skip right past the weather small talk and go straight to Seamstress Spy. If you'd like to support the podcast and get some fun perks, you can join Patreon and become an exclusive history BFF. Or you could pick yourself up some sweet, sweet season five merch, which is my favorite so far. Or you could send me a message letting me know what you thought of this or any episode. Oh, hey, by the way, this is this is editing TK. Um, thank you for your patience with this episode. It has been a tough week leaving my fourth graders and stepping away from classroom teaching and getting ready to move and all that jazz. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the messages and kind words I've gotten. Love you bunches. Okay, back to back to the other TK. See you later. Bye. And of course, I would never forget to tell you to take care of yourself this week. If you need a break, take a break. Give yourself a hug, drink your water, and I will see you next week. Okay, love you, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>